This is the official Scottish Rugby Podcast with Caroline Blair and Chris Patterson. And today we're back at BT Murrayfield and we are joined by former Scotland international and now very much working within the organisation of Scottish Rugby, Tommy Seymour. Uh, Tommy, tell us, what, what, let's start off at the beginning then. Where, what are you doing now? What am I doing? I'm still, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still working that out. Um, Chris assured me you can still be working that out for a number of years. Yeah, but, um, I, time I'm on your in, side yet, Tommy. <laughs> I've joined up on the, the commercial side of the business, so uh, sponsorship sales manager would be my official title, but... Um, yeah, trying to trying to work out my my positioning, make sure that uh, you know I'm not on the I'm not on the chopping block too soon. But yeah, commercial department is where I lie. And what made you stay on? Because when you retire from international rugby, mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of transferable skills in there. Would be what we'd say, and you know, <laughs> you know, um, you do have options because of what that incredible career can bring your mm-hmm. way. So why did you choose to stay within? Uh, well, I mean, I took a year away, um, Caroline. I worked in the, the player agency world, so I represented players for a year. Um, and then, yeah, I got sort of tapped on the shoulder and, and, and asked if I'd be interested in applying for for a job on the commercial side. They were sort of rehashing that side of the business, and I thought, why not sort of put my name forward? And, yeah, I went through the formal interview process and, and, and managed, to, managed to find a way into here. But I think for me it was a case of... Um, one, I knew a little bit about the business, but obviously that's always going to be through a little bit of a lens as a player. Um, I was I was really, to be honest with you, quite interested in testing myself in, in waters that I wasn't too familiar with, um, challenging myself, learning about a new, a new side of a business, um, albeit, again, using those transferable skills in regards to the product, if you want to call it that way, being rugby. It was something that I, you know, I built a little bit of a knowledge base on. So it was kind of a, there was a comfortable feeling coming back to something that I obviously love uh, and have a huge amount of passion for, but also as well, as I said, an environment that would challenge me and, and push me to try and develop myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, old slippers, it's like, come well, on. Well, it is, aye. <laughs> the, play, the player agency in between, though, that's mm. a different world, isn't it? It's like... Very. It's a really, it's a difficult <laughs> world to be in that mm-hmm. in terms of, I suppose, what you're exposed to, what you want for an individual, what the individual wants, what the club wants, or the, the unions. There's, there's so much in there that you would have learned a lot in a year in that role. Yeah, you go from you go from uh, you know feeling very comfortable in a change room, and then you get <laughs> asked for yellow bootlaces from sixteen year olds in <laughs> the space of two months. So yeah, it's a very different world, uh, as you said. Yeah, a, a huge amount of. Um, a huge amount of things that go into the agency world that you're not type, you know, you're not familiar with necessarily. You think it's just the sort of cold, harsh dealing with contracts that side of the water. But a lot of the things that I enjoyed about that particular role was was dealing with the younger um, players, really, the players that were sort of coming out of school, moving into the academy system, moving into you know, quote unquote, professional rugby, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, or at least professional environments. Um, the support system yeah, for the young guys is massive and I think that can really set the tone and, and be a difference maker and I think that for me was was something that I really enjoyed. Mm. I felt like it wasn't about the the value in terms of from a monetary point of mm. view that I was adding. It was about the having someone else on in you know in their corner that was able to offer support and mm-hmm. and really sort of help guide them through what is a very challenging first number of months when you leave a school environment where you are very comfortable and move into mm-hmm. you know if you're a young seven and you start training alongside Hamish Watson. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of challenges with that. So I like to think that um you know the knowledge I built up over a over a, a professional career could help these guys navigate those first few months. Yeah, it's preparatory, isn't it? And even even at that, I think sometimes you can 
help players prepare. You can tell players, but until the experience all of that, it's it's a really difficult thing. Did, did you have a an agent when you turned professional initially? Yeah, well, I mean, I, funny enough, I didn't. Um, so well, the, agent, the, the agent, the, <laughs> the agent, no, yeah, no. no. So it is different, even in that time. Eh? It is very much so. I think the uh, the difference is, that, ironically, that the agent that first approached me was the agent I ended up signing with, but it wasn't until mm-hmm. a couple of years down the line. Yeah. I think when he first when he first <laughs> approached or phoned the house, I think my mum spoke to him. <laughs> And she said, well, he doesn't need an agent. What does he need an agent for? And I just, you know, mum knows best. So I yeah. went, yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it was different times. Like, yeah. you, you'd be able to test that. It was different times. Um, you know, when I entered the, you know, when I entered the setup, you know, I wasn't even known to the head coach of the club at the time. Yeah. It, it's just a very different format. Now, I think where, because the magnifying glass, if you want to call it that, on, on players now coming out of school, everything's a little bit more recognised. There's more media yeah. attention. There's more social media naturally as well, which is a challenge to go, go through. Those support systems, as I said, it's not about the monetary. It's mm-hmm. about the support systems. And I think where the differences are from when I began to where the kids are now is those support systems, I think, are more important earlier. Yeah, and actually, they can add a real benefit in the first number of months. So we, you know, it's interesting you say that. I've spent quite a bit of time working in the same sort of capacity. And it's really interesting what you're saying. It's almost a pastoral role, isn't it? You're very much helping the development, but you're also reassuring parents. And it's a great career to have. Looking back retrospectively for you now, you've had time to adjust since retiring. Retired from international rugby in 2019, I it did, was. Yes. Yeah, 55 caps British and Irish <laughs> lion I mean there must be a huge sense of accomplishment and achievement for you how are you able to look back on it now and what are your thoughts on your career I think to be honest it's still a bit of a learning process for me in terms of how I reflect on it um, for the first period as I said because I kind of jumped back into rugby with two feet um, mm. albeit in a different capacity but I was watching more rugby than I'd ever watched before as a player um, I was probably more involved with some of the clubs than I'd ever been involved with so if I if I'd sort of done my time again, would I have gone immediately back into such a rugby centric career? Probably not. I probably maybe would have tried to take some time away because I think I think maybe as professional players that have had a had a career in it for for a certain period of time, you probably need to disassociate yourself a little bit just to find out a little bit more about yourself and sort of have the come down of what has been a long uh, you know a long um, number of years. There's obviously a there's obviously um a pride element to it like I'm 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 really proud but to be honest I'm more feel more fortunate like more lucky that I managed to do like um if you want to call it that way, I managed to do rugby as a career I managed to you know have rugby as um as that bigger part of my life um and experience some of the things that came with it um there's a lot of really talented rugby players out there that that for whatever reason don't get an opportunity to to play professional rugby and I, I believe there's a huge amount of luck with it, and I'd say it to anyone that would that would sit. I, I consider myself genuinely one of the luckiest rugby players out there, because when I look back on the early stages, I think there's a there's a number or a series of events that had mm-hmm. they not happened in the way they happened and the time span they happened, then I would have never ended up in certain places. So there's a huge amount of fortune that's come my, come my way, and um, to be honest, as I said, it's just, it's it's it was a wonderful period of my life that I'm so fortunate for. I met some of the closest friends I have. I've managed to, you know, experience a lot of different environments that I never would have um, bore witness to had I not. Um, so yeah, just incredibly lucky, incredibly proud, but certainly, um, yeah, I, I would have I would have spent a little bit of time probably away from it. <laughs> I, 
I was going to ask you, I don't know, this maybe sounded a wee bit rude, but... <laughs> Where's it <laughs> Go going on, this? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just something I've experienced more of late. Now, see if you see a clip of you when you played, and you're only three years out, four years out, yeah. do you ever get embarrassed at some of the things you're like, you think, oh, actually, that wasn't that... Oh, 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 it's horrible, isn't it? I don't need to wait now, mate. There'll be highlights that would come out on a Monday of something I did on a Saturday. Yeah, but but you you look back and you think, I thought that was all right at the time. And you look at it now and you're like, oh my goodness. Oh, no, yeah. There used to be like, we played old games on one of the the, the TV channels and you would just like cringe if there was a game that you played and you might have done one or two things decent in the game, but you'd also done a few few things. I I really struggled to watch anything I did because I just think it was rubbish. Did you you think it was rubbish when actually it probably wasn't? Do you think you were your own worst critic? Well, that's what I was asking Tommy. I I can't even figure it out. I don't know if I'm being hard on myself. Without a doubt, like, I mean, I'd say to anyone, there's probably one of the most humble individuals ever. You think this guy accidentally (laughs) tripped into 109 caps? No, but like when the clip comes on, (laughs) you see it and you're like, oh no. It, maybe, you've maybe got more changed. of a database to go back on and be embarrassed by, mate. You've got over double what I've got. So there is a da- the, the other way of looking at it as well. I have spoken to a lot of other retired professional players. Uh, my, my husband will sometimes say, you may, maybe also look back on a game and think it was a horrendous yeah. game. Yeah, and actually true. you realise, do you know, it wasn't actually it wasn't as bad, bad. A, as mm. I thought. I think the worst thing for me is, I wish I could get back, is like, you just sometimes you just... you. Ref- you just rode off a week because you were in such a bad form after a game. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And sometimes I just wish I'd, I like, I'd, not, not, really ta- I'd not been able to it? take it as seriously because when, when you get further away from it, you realise yeah. in the grand scheme yeah. of things, that was nothing. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? And it's the same with a lot of things outside rugby, you know, just things yeah. that happen to you. But I'm like, honestly, I wish I hadn't have gone into so many, so many bad holes after performance when realistically now I'm like, there's not a soul in the world that will remember it. How, are, how are you oh, sorry. watching? Sorry. How are you watching now? I was here at the weekend. Yeah. Are you up? Are you in fan mode or are you in still kind of analytical mode? Yeah, probably a bit of both. Uh, Mostly, to be honest, I spent the first half of the game trying to fix the PA system um, <laughs> in the business club. So I, mi- I missed large chunks of the first half. But the second half was great. So I watched that. Um, I'm sort of, I kind of flip between yeah. the two a little bit. There's a little bit more flip-flopping that goes on now. I think def- definitely for the first year, it wasn't fan mode, That's really. Nice. I think it was, you know, my profession, agency yeah. world. Um, yeah. um, and analytical, definitely. I think now occasionally I'm able to flick into proper mm. fan mode and really enjoy it. Like Twickenham two mm. weeks ago, um, I was probably there in fan mode, mm. which is great. Um, you still get a little bit of the beating mm. because it's natural. You kind of want to be out there a little yeah. bit. You see the anthems being sung, but you, you'll know what that's like. I don't know if that ever goes away, Mossy, does how, it? How, yeah. do, how is that? Because you both do know how that is, but those the majority of people listening and myself, we don't know what that's like. So when you are watching and you have gone into fan mode, and you're watching those anthems, mm. is a part of you reminiscing in your head? How does that experience I'm more out? interested generally to hear about what Mossy thinks, because Mossy's, Mossy's, Mossy's a little bit further out of the game with me, yeah, so yeah. I'd generally be interested to see how you view it. Both totally different. Um, at no point when I was on the field playing, singing an anthem, pre-match, did I feel like a fan, because I couldn't allow myself to. I've said this before, I think if you allow yourself to feel like a fan and get lost in emotion and... I think you take your eye off the ball. So it's almost like the the unique bit is the, the time you spent on the field. So as a fan and a kid growing up watching, you got that experience. You think, oh, imagine what it would be like to be there. And then when you've retired and you no longer do it, you think, oh, it'd be great to be out there. But when you're in it, it's a role, it's a job, it's a discipline, it's a responsibility. You're and you're at work. Okay. Now, not everybody thinks like that. I think it, it makes it it'd be pretty boring place if every professional player. <laughs> but for me, for me to perform, I couldn't allow myself to get overexcited, over emotional, think about how amazing this is. It was like, what do I need to do? What do I need to get right? So But you're still at work. And I'm still now, now, yeah, so now, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I still I still 
probably more so than Tommy. I'm very analytical of the game. Still working in it. Still looking at it. Um, still looking at things half a second behind the play, on the play. Looking at backfield coverage. So I, I'm still very much, yeah, analytical rather than fan based. Does it yeah, catch not, you at all? Yeah, I, it's funny when you're saying some of that stuff, Marcy. I think the same. Like, there's a lot of games that I would sort of watch now, and I'd still be looking at it on probably a more in-depth level than I should. And I and I wasn't a deep thinker when I was a player. So, you know, I'm... Um, but I, I think I'm, I was similar to Marcy in regards to... Some of the things I get jealous about are some of, you know, some of the players now where mm. I'm like, they just... They're able to transmit that pure, almost fan-like enjoyment of the game mm. onto the field. And I, was, I wasn't really able to do that all the time. I was probably just, as Marcy said, I was there to kind of fulfill my role, do my job, make mm. sure I was sort of thinking about it. But, but now it's... Um, as I said, there there are definitely fan type moments that I'm flicking into, but they're probably much fewer and far between than they are me still looking at it from a from an ex player's perspective. You saw that at the weekend, didn't you? I mean, it looked like that last yeah. quarter in particular. <laughs> like it's just they were having fun. It was exciting rugby to watch. Um, before we look at ahead, it is a fallow week. A bit about you, Tommy. I mean, at the high ball, I want to talk about that for a second. Keep an eye on it. I mean, oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't close your eyes. If, <laughs> Is that the advice, quite simply? Pretty because much, yeah. <laughs> Even if the sun's coming into them, don't close them. You were, without Tense up a and doubt, keep the ball. the king of... Uh, and, and so it's what do I was you, terrible at everything else. What so, do you know. say and how do you... Talk to me about the, the lead-up then to a game week. Is it mm. something that players practice? Can you practice? What's your... Yeah. What's your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. On it? Well, the, the gentleman sitting next to you would have been far better than me, um, being the fifteen. But I think, yeah, of course, it's one of the, it's one of those things. I think one of the lessons you get, you get taught now. Probably, I got taught a little bit later than what you'd want to when I spoke to young players. Is there's this old thing where people are always like, you know, you got to work on your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But you know, in reality, one of the things you want to do is really concentrate on your strengths and kind of make them your point of difference. Like everything naturally else, you know, everything else will come with being exposed to new environments and do that. But if you can if you can hone in on the things that can create that point of difference and really make them, you know, as close to world class as you can get it, then you give coaches a way of, you know, depending on what the game's gonna bring, you know, they give you it gives you a chance of being easily selected because of that skill. And then everything else hopefully will develop on the top of it. So for me it was definitely one of those things where I used to concentrate a lot of time and a lot of effort into doing it. And I don't think None of the players out there is wonderful. You know, there's a there's probably a misconception that Finn is probably one of the greatest passes you'd see, right? Mm -hmm. In world rugby now, he's probably one of the, you know, if not the best. But to pretend that Finn doesn't practice mm -hmm. a huge amount on his passing, you know, it's not the natural element of what he makes it look or, you know, how natural he makes it look is off the back of an incredible amount of hard work. It was so funny when you said that earlier uh, about, you know, luck and things. I also thought the same applies to that and that actually the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, Gary yeah. Player would tell you. Um, quick one, the on last one on that. Stuff, though, yeah, I was about to ask just, one more after you. It is such a hard skill. Yeah. Like, it is such a hard skill to get to the point where the ball's going to be at the top of the jump and then you add in the contact element, you add in the... The wind, the rain, potentially, <laughs> joking about the sun in your eyes, but it's such a tough skill that is celebrated when it's done well, but it's not really, like, when it's not done well, it's criticised. Mm. And especially kickoffs, I mean, everybody talks about kickoffs, and they were poor at times on Saturday as well, kickoff reception, but that's an even harder skill. Because mm. if, yes. you're if you're coming in for a high ball as a back three player, as a winger or a 15 or whoever, there's one of you, <coughs> so you have to worry about yourself. But so often at kickoff reception, you've got, more often not a pod of three. So you've got yeah. three players trying to get to a moving target with competition to get the top of the jump. It's such it's a taken tough skill. It's taken for granted. It's it's such a hard skill. I used to think as well, when, when you're receiving a kick, I don't know about you, Marcy, but 
when you're receiving a kick that's coming to you, you've only really got one outcome that yep. can be seen as a win. You've yep. got to catch that ball clean. Whereas if you're a chaser, Mm-hmm. you've kind of got a few different things that can be qualified as a win. You can go up with one hand and slap it back. You don't have to catch mm-hmm. it clean. That's a win. They they don't catch it, yeah. as in the receiver doesn't catch it. That's a win. Or you catch it clean. So you've got a few more things. Yeah. So I used to love chasing after them because I thought there's actually a larger <laughs> amount of percentage outcome that will swing my way. So definitely when you're waiting, I think the worst bit is when you're waiting and there's... When you know it's you know, coming. It's coming. A packed <laughs> Murrayfield, they're inside their 22. Oh, you know, someone like someone in. like Connor Murray, for example, you yeah. know, in his heyday when he put the ball a million miles in the air. <laughs> and you go, this is definitely yeah. coming. You yeah. know, they're going to sit, they're going to set up their mall and he's yeah. going to box kick it to me. There's no way of getting no. away from it. It's one person versus the ball. There's fans sitting there. You're definitely thinking, please, just come no. on. Okay, go for go for that. And that talking about the box kick then. Yeah. Best scrum half, both oh, of you, that would put it in the sweet spot, just exactly where you want it. Whoever could hit it really badly yeah. as a best kicker. <laughs> Honestly, you get, the best strikers of the ball, the ultimately they can the easiest ones to catch because they've got a consistency yeah. and a spin rate. If it's somebody mishits it, or yeah. what you should say like a, a plastic bag, <laughs> yeah. or a, you know those really cheap footballs yeah. you used to get yeah. as a kid, it could go anywhere. If a ball's like that, and that's rugby league guys do it, they, yeah. they ball slightly different, mm-hmm. but they've done it for years. And they, you know, spiral bombs or flat bombs, or it's all that can make you look so silly. And it's actually more often than not a poorer kick. So it's a, yeah, well that's it. It's the <laughs> ones that, that as Mossy said, like you know, you you're praying for a really well struck ball <laughs> because there's some routine to the way that it travels through the air. Whereas, no, I'll actually give you the backstory in terms of the high ball. Actually, stuff came out. This is probably not interesting at all, but it actually came, <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing at Mossy's going. It definitely won't be. Before um, before you start, I remember when you played at Ulster, you weren't as good as it as you were later on in your career. So it was a, a an, an exceptional. Uh, in your career, catching above your head as well, yeah, like it's yeah. easier to catch in your against your chest with your arms and almost like a cradle. But Tommy could catch it above in his head air. in the air, and, and that was a. I don't know if that's a story you're going to tell how you got there, but from Ulster through Glasgow mm. to Scotland, the Lions, incredible. I was like, too happy to get out off the ground in Ulster Were as you? well. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I arrived at yeah, big arrived. squats. Was it squats oh, and deadlifts? Was it? I don't know if it was squats. <laughs> I'd love to say it was muscle. It definitely wasn't. The um, no, so it was actually Scott Johnson that sort of hammered oh, home that. Yeah. So I was on my first, I was on my first tour with Scotland to South Africa, um, and I remember Jono called me for a one-on-one meeting, and he basically the, the long story of the conversation was like, "What's your point of difference?" As mm-hmm. I said to you earlier, like, "What what's, what's your point USB? of difference? Like, where do you, what do you think you should be that can help develop you?" Mm-hmm. So when I'm in a selection meeting, I'm going, "Why are we picking? Why are we picking Tommy? Or what? Mm-hmm. You know?" And he was like, and, and this, and you remember, John, like, like brutal honesty. I mean, like, yep, we just everybody cut knew you with where they stood. So, like, he just pulled me down. He was like, he's like, you're not, he's like, you're not Tim Viss. You're like, you're not massive. So, you're never going to, you're never going to bowl anyone over. He's like, not particularly quick. Defense on the <laughs> And I was like, I was sort of thinking, I'm not that slow. Like, I, I was like, think it was quite, he's like, you're not, you know, you're not, um, who would be the quickest back? You're not, you're not Brian Abana. So, you're never going to burn anyone on the outside. He's like, what, what sort of brings you to the pitch? So what players do you like? And he said, like, don't go and give me like the, the big hulking monsters of the world. Like, just tell me who you think in World Rugby kind of like looks and feels. And I really liked Corey Jane at the time. Oh, yeah. Like really loved watching Corey Jane play. And he was perfect. He's like, not the biggest. Not the, he said, what's he good at? I said, he's really good at kick chase and he's really good at high ball. He goes, there you go. Boom. He goes, work on that. So that's where it all wow. started. He basically was like, you know, try and work within your wheelhouse like it, there was a, there's an element to it which was really valuable which was just like be realistic mm-hmm. like you're always going to be wanting to to move the dial on a lot of things but he's like be realistic about what suits your sort mm-hmm. of skill set so i just took that really seriously and went do you know what like he's dead right 
so obviously started working on the weaknesses but in terms of those sort of things that's that's that is the conversation that will live with me because it really did change how i looked at it well what is also done is got you to identify what you want to work in which in the coaching world is really clever because if a coach come and tells you what you need to work on it you might agree but if it comes from you then there's a probably potentially a greater commitment to it, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's clever. That's Do you ever wish you should, <laughs> you should have said, like, sidestep and <laughs> scoring tries or something? I, w- I really wish I, yeah, I had a quicker answer. <laughs> like, what, bring I was like, I don't know, John. <laughs> but but interesting to get you to go away and really, th- sort of, like, you had to really think about that answer. It's a, it brings up an interesting point about coaching, I guess, as well, because one thing that you have after you've retired from a career is a, the benefit of hindsight, I suppose, mm. and you can see it through in your decision-making. Are there coaches at the time, perhaps, that you might have thought, oh, gosh, you know, I'm getting a, it's quite tough for one way or the other, but actually looking back, my, <laughs> he's laughing. I'm wondering what I've asked here. None of them. No, no, I'm just... What, what are your thoughts on... <laughs> difficult coaches yeah, versus... Yeah, and, and the type of... Um, the way I'm that laughing you because I could have some easy names would come to my head, but like, and they probably they probably know I mean it in the nicest way possible. Um, Sean Lenine <laughs> used to give me a <laughs> absolute pelters. <laughs> In my first year in Glasgow, and he'd laugh like he used to. He'd go as far as you making fun of the way I walk. I'd never thought about my walk for twenty <laughs> odd years, and Sean Lanine made it, made it, the, the, you know, look sort of sound like the weirdest walk of any human being. Um, Why? Yeah, I don't know. He just used to mimic my walk, and I went, I don't. I, I, Sean's, Sean's, Sean's got, got a really funny walk as well. Sean's so. got. Sean's got. Uh, a plastic hip. Yeah, well, that's what I used to say. I used to pot kettle <laughs> black. And I used to say done. to Sean. So, um, no, like. In terms of in terms of coaches, yeah, some would um, some are really good, as Mossy said, about helping you personally yeah. identify what your strengths or weaknesses are and how to work on them. Because as Mossy said, like there's there's a commitment level that I think comes with that that sort of self identification. But um, yeah, like I was really fortunate. I know this, I'm probably forgetting the question, so <laughs> forgive me. Who was coach at Ulster when you were there? Was so it? We asked one actually. So, so yeah, like um, I, I, I think I think I, I think I'll never played against you. Once or twice, mm-hmm. but I certainly played against him at Alston. I was trying to think, was it Brian McLaughlin Brian was in charge? Who was a PE teacher? He was a PE teacher, so yeah. Um, like I've, I've been really obviously fortunate to work with a couple of outstanding coaches. Um, who, who does stand out and why? Which coaches across your career have helped shape your career? Would you say? I see. <laughs> well, I go early days, Neil Doak, definitely. Yeah. Um, Neil Doak was a brilliant rugby brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he's back Scum involved. Half. He's but he's back involved in the in the Ulster setup now, but at the at the at the mm-hmm. more junior levels. Really brilliant rugby mind, really good um, for me. He was um, sad in the academy stuff when I joined, but like helpful beyond mm. beyond belief. Um, would get you know a bit like me would get a, a name for being a bit grumpy, but in terms of like brilliant, like really made you really worked on your uh, on your skill set, made you made you have a long hard look at yourself. Um, the other ones obviously Dave Rennie as well mm. at Glasgow, like brilliant rugby brain, and I think a really good man manager. Mm. Dave was very very good in my opinion at at getting guys to buy in and culturally as well, like really good at instilling a culture. And then the other one, unfortunately, I say this on the podcast, don't I really? But um, Gregor, obviously <laughs> as well, had a huge impact. I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole with him because <laughs> I'm not talking about him too nicely here. But uh, yeah, Gregor, um, Gregor obviously had a huge, huge, huge impact on my career, probably more than I thought he did. Um, Have you ever spoken to him about that? Yeah, a couple of times. Um, I think as well, he he had a much bigger hand in me coming across to Scotland than I ever knew as well mm-hmm. until the very very latter stages of my career I never actually realized that he'd had a 
he'd had a significant hand in that as well. So yeah, that sounds like Gregor <laughs> through and through, isn't it? There's a lot that he does behind the scenes that gets uh, that gets yeah, things proper moving. thinker. Eh? Yeah, yeah, and you have to be nowadays. I mean, the, the, I suppose if you look at the Six Nations now, like Ireland are the the team the number one team in the world, but there'll be a way of breaking down what Ireland do, and it was going to be really really difficult. Um, for for all teams, I'm saying like it, it's the, they're almost untouchable at the moment. But the control they have, the physicality, their attack, the defence, like everything's there. But there'll be something that comes along that counteracts what they do. It's just which coach is going to identify it that. first, and then you know, snowball effects. Um, so as it's like deep thinkers of the game like that are the ones that figure out what needs done. A, a talent identification, player identification, player improvement, but as well as that on a kind of more managerial scale or a head coaching scale, there's some really genius brains that that have to figure out where the game goes globally next. And I suppose that's one of Gregor's responsibilities the next two or three weeks, isn't it, with the two games we've got coming up? But it's, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of good <sighs> rugby IQ hanging about. Those games are really interesting <coughs> because if you look at if you look at the, the the first opening two rounds of the Guinness Six Nations, it's it's interesting to see. Mm. You know, you've got France, you've got Ireland sitting in a very different league at this point from what we've seen so far from the rest of the nations as well. And then Scotland has really dominated in the two games that we've had, particularly in the second halves of the, of those games. They've been really exciting, exciting rugby to watch. This next game against France mm. at Paris is really, really, really pivotal for for the Scotland seat and, yeah. and seeing where we are I guess <laughs> yeah massive you are do you probably well, I don't know what you think but like every time I played against France France they might be a, a little bit different now but they let you play France want to play and there was always a, a threat of how good they were but there was always a real excitement when you played France be it home or away that there would be a, it would be a quality game mm -hmm. they tend not to certainly through my memories suffocate teams they'll play they'll drop players in the backfield because they want to counter-attack, so by doing that, there's more space in the front field for you to attack. And if you've got a high ex uh, skill execution and, and you're really brave with it, there's space to play. It might be different now under Sean Edwards' defence. Yeah, certainly the, the Grand Slam they won last year, I think they had one of the fewest possession rates and scored most of turnovers and you know built in their defence. But I don't know I, I don't know if you'd be the same. Like When you played France, it was, a, it was an open game, more often not, which... And a, Fortnite simultaneous time suits us. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely echo those sentiments. I think with um, with France as well right now, and where they are in the Six Nations, like they're they're not they're not where they were last year. Certainly, they're, they've yet to hit their straps. Really, mm. um, they've not had a home game yet. Though. Yeah, they haven't had a home game yet, <laughs> and I and I think that's it's not the it's not the worrying fact for for Scotland, but definitely I think France probably mm. know themselves in a squad on reflection. The last two weeks, they haven't really made an account of themselves. Mm. Um, so yeah, for France, for me, it was always one of those, as Mossy said, one of those fixtures that you kind of felt like it could, you know, it, there was, you know, there was, there was a game there to be had. There was mm -hmm. going to be space, which obviously is a winger as well, and outside back, you're loving. So, you know, from our, you know, from our perspective, moving in, I say ours, like the team's perspective, moving into Paris in two weeks' time, I think there'll be there's a lot of confidence that we've managed to build up over the first two weeks, and I don't think anyone's going to move around the fact that they're probably not the strongest of the two sides, you know, there in our next two games, but. Um, Paris will offer us a real litmus test as yeah. to where we are because we've looked mm. very, very good in the first two weeks. 
Um, they've got some power though as well, though, but they? they've got. But they've as I said, yeah, got they've power. got they've got some unbelievable talent. And as Moss mm. said, they haven't had a home game yet, so they'll be chomping at the bit to get back there. Yeah, two two away games in a row, and week one to week two is a six day turnaround. Yeah, so they're it. they're traveling from from Italy back home to then travel. So you've got two travel days and a six day turnaround. So you, yeah, and the, and the obviously the second one was away in Ireland. So and losing to that Ireland side. Yeah, oh yeah, that's I mean that's easily done, isn't that, it? You know, like <laughs> let's be honest. And I think I think when you look at that, it, that tees up. I mean, BT Murrayfield is going to be a sellout mm. for Ireland when mm. when yeah. we host Ireland here, uh, which is fantastic in itself. I mm. mean, <laughs> you can't get a seat for love nor money now. Um, and the same applies to all all of the tests because mm. what we're seeing on the pitch is so exciting from Scotland. Yeah, it is. Like we're we're playing a. I mean, over the last number of years, we've sort of we've probably been attributed with a more exciting, expansive brand of rugby. But I think we're probably doing it on a far more consistent yeah. basis, um, and with a lot more accuracy. You look at the second half when we offer the opportunities. Finn is obviously pulling the strings really well. I think another one that's um, you know helping with that expansive game is Sione at twelve as well, with with the amount of options he provides in going out the back or as a mm-hmm. as a decoy runner. So. Look, we we are we are attracting people. Um, it is an exciting brand of rugby. I think I've you know I've had a number of messages from from supporters of other unions that say like Scotland games have always been or have been at least for the last number of tests really exciting fixtures to watch. So we've got two massive challenges ahead of us. Like there's no getting away from it. Ireland look very very good, and you know the Penotra yesterday, you know last week. Mm. Then you know within two minutes watching James Lowe score in the corner. I mean you're not going to mm. see two tries closer together of that quality. So. Ireland, um, Ireland and France are are a step up certainly, and I don't think that's doing Wales and, and England a disservice. I just think they they definitely are, but I think we're probably getting them in the right order to be honest. Now, interestingly, last thing this weekend, Glasgow Warriors obviously at home at Scotston. It's a, a an interesting game that one too on the Friday night. Now, the last time that uh, Ulster were at Glasgow Warriors with a crowd at Scotston was when you were playing four years ago. Oh, really? In the, in the, There's another random point for it. In wow. The, in the Pro 14, so... Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Well, I'm common. I'm, I'm doing some punditry this weekend, oh, yeah. but BBC Radio Northern Ireland as well, so mm-hmm. I'm going to look forward to that, because I've commented, I've done a lot for Ulster, well, I say a lot, so a, lot a lot of Ulster games this year, mm-hmm. so it's a really exciting one for me to be able to do, so... the uh, It's a big game, isn't it? Especially for Glasgow, and I think Ulster have kind of massive for Ulster. Ulster as well. have fluctuated a wee bit, mm-hmm. they've, they've been good, they've been really good, but they've been maybe disappointing for. They had a five-six week period where yeah. things were looking, yeah. things were looking way outside what you know the fans over there have, have, mm. have expected of Ulster the last number of years. They sort of got back on track with a, albeit a loss, but a very good away mm-hmm. performance at La Rochelle, and then backed it up with a mm. with a good win against Sale as well, but. Ulster will be very nervous about this fixture. They really need it to keep yeah. the to keep the momentum going into the latter end of the season. Um, and Glasgow have just been flying yeah. right now. So my bias is always going to kick in. But comparing the two squads right now, I'd like to think that'll be a Glasgow win. But uh, Ulster will definitely be targeting it. Glasgow at home, especially. As well, Dan McFarland, ex Glasgow coach as well, now coaches Ulster. He'll know that. Yeah, no, that will that'll be a cl- Friday night. That is so. Seven thirty-five kickoff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think the interesting one for me is that the Glasgow. Don't don't have to worry as much about their internationals not being able to be returning. They'll have a few that come back, but their de- their, their strength and depth now is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, they're losing a couple of key personnel, obviously, but they've they've got guys that can come in and fill those roles. That will be chomping at the bit to get mm-hmm. minutes as well. The likes of 
Ollie Smith or uh, you know Stafford, Stafford McDowell mm-hmm. or stuff like that. You know they're on the peripheries of the Scotland squad. They want to put their hands up and play minutes. Sam Johnson as well, another yeah. one's back. So and Ulster as well. They don't really lose any to the Irish. So they'll be you know there'll be sort of two sets of periphery teams. international things that are really chomping them to play. Mm-hmm. So all in all, with a with a lack of rugby for the last number of weeks for them, they'll be they'll should be. be yeah it should be a really <laughs> really good encounter. Chomping at the bit. And Edinburgh didn't Scarlet on Saturday. That's right. Which is uh, like all the all big games, aren't they? I keep saying they are, Scarlet are a team similar who've kind of fluctuated a little bit, but have won. I think they're unbeaten in twenty twenty three, um, and are sitting uh, like two or three places below Edinburgh. So when you've had the break as well, they've had yeah. they've had they've had a couple, you know a couple of weeks there to to rebuild the momentum, rebuild, mm-hmm. get the energy. It will be an interesting one too. Yeah, and no, I hope Edinburgh go down and uh, and get a victory. The uh, and they're just sitting one place outside the playoffs. Like the, the Sharks are di- directly above them. So, um, obviously, better the Sharks result would, I think, they would jump ahead again. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's always hard to win over home. Um, but that one Saturday night. Uh, five fifteen. That one is, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so five fifteen. So that's the difference that the league's in now. Compared yeah. to what it used to be like, you can't yeah. afford to kind of lose traction on your on your standing in the league. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a few weeks off. You know, it really is a case where you get pushed down that table and you can be outside the playoffs quite quickly. Whereas in previous years, you probably had a, a few allowances to, to, to miss form, but it's coming into that finer part of the season. But certainly with South African squads, it just there really isn't the opportunity to miss two or three or have two yeah. or three weeks off. We saw that last year as well. It's uh, sometimes I think the league table isn't totally accurate because you don't know who's still to go to South Africa, who, yeah. how many times South Africa's to come in. And you saw last year, Glasgow were sitting top, weren't they? Mm with about three rounds to go mm-hmm. and, and it was eventually eight so that there's a bit of balance that goes especially with one or two games that I think were cancelled Glasgow have to go back out to South Africa mm-hmm. next week it was a game that was cancelled um, earlier on in the season so it's, there's an imbalance really to the number of games played and the amount of travel left in the fixture so I think we'll see league positions change um, pretty dramatically over the next Maybe six not rounds answer. Maybe not with Leinster. No, I mean, Leinster, I mean, I was going to say Ireland, sorry, so close. The squads look pretty similar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, or two, one or two additional faces. Um, just on, on that final note then, for both of you, actually, the, the Celtic League was very different. So back, you know, Magners, mm-hmm. the, the 12 and then the 14, mm-hmm. and now the expanded format with the URC and the South Africans teams. Would you have been attracted to that as a player? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, obviously... Um, the travelling probably mm. sometimes maybe not, but the misses less so. <laughs> yeah, but I I definitely think like the where we're seeing the differences with the South African guys, the quality of the competition throughout mm. the year is better. Like as I said, teams can't really afford to have you know two or three weeks of, of missed results. Like you've got to be putting more consistent performances on the park to really be in a, in a shout that tail end of the season so the South African sides have really improved it they did they you know they developed the competition in terms of from an audience perspective as well so um the URC has always had a, a good name I think or the Pro 12 or Pro 14 or Magners from a, a sort of more expansive style of rugby mm-hmm. than maybe the Premiership for example but just just adding points of difference whether it be South African squad or even just a, a different set of players to cast your eyes over I think from a, a performance point of view definitely challenging yourself against quality sides like that is always going to have interest for professional players Always a pleasure gents uh, Tommy it's been great having you on thanks so much for coming on the official Scottish Thank Rugby you. Podcast uh, Mossy and I we will be back inside the Scotland camp again next week uh, ahead of the build up to Scotland's uh, trip to Paris until then you can catch up with the latest news and content on Scottish Rugby's social media channels. Until next week, that's the latest from the official Scottish Rugby podcast.